Okay, so we're here with doc, uh, Dr. Deneen from uh, Notre, Dame. Notre Dame. Thank you. I was going to say, so Notre Dame is, is a special place in my heart. My dad actually took me to Notre Dame every other year with my grandfather to go see a football game. Uh, so I've been up to South Bend many of times growing up. Um, so that's, that, that's always a, a near and dear special place to my heart. Mm. Um, I, I thir- thoroughly enjoyed your talk here at the Alcorn Institute uh, conference. Um, I thought it was really good. And I, I'm so glad we're having this this public discourse on the on the topic of liberalism, uh, because for the most part, uh, I, I mean, up until about a year ago when I started kind of following what you guys were doing, I didn't even know really what liberalism hmm. was. Yeah, same here. Or I had some very strong misconceptions of what liberalism is. So maybe. Uh, you know, just kind of to lay the, the, Cause, the, the ground. Because I'm a Republican, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, yeah, and uh, I'm, so maybe I'm just like, kidding. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, but but I mean I'm, a conv- I'm a conservative right. person. You right. know? Well, no, so the, I mean, you're, the, the joke actually it contains uh, the, one of the difficult obstacles, which is that when most, you know, just kind of somewhat attentive Americans hear the word liberal, they think, oh, that's the Democratic Party. Right. right. The, the, yeah, the Democrats exactly. are liberals. Mm-hmm. And so when... When we're speaking of liberalism in a more philosophical sense, what we're talking about is the philosophical tradition that goes back, you know, 500 or so years and has its roots in philosophers like Thomas Hobbes and John Locke and strands of which informed aspects of the American founding. So it really does implicate, you know, the question of what kind of nation America is and whether and in what ways Catholics can find a home here and mm-hmm. this is the topic of of this conference i think is yeah uh, is it possible to be a, a good catholic and a good american and uh does that mean that in some way shape or form one also has to be a liberal or not so is it the same as when we say a liberal education mm-hmm. is it the same is that the same word so it's the same it's literally the same word which is the has the latin root of uh the word libertas mm-hmm. but it's a completely different meaning uh, and this is maybe a, this is an important starting point that the word libertas uh, in Latin, which is used, uh, of course, in the in the Catholic tradition, uh, and uh, also has its antecedents in Greek, which appears in the Bible. Right, uh, Christ came to set man free. Mm-hmm. Uh, that word uh, is also basically the Greek variant of liberty or freedom, uh, but the meaning is fundamentally different. Like if we think what the classical understanding of the word liberty is, which has its roots uh, or the same root word as the word of liberal education, it's the condition of being free, which requires a kind of deep and profound form of a kind of discipline and a training and an habituation in kind of the responsible use of our liberty. So it's not a kind of indifference to the kinds of choices we make. It's the kind of it, it's the the ability to make the right kinds of choices, mm-hmm. uh, to be, in a sense, disciplined uh, and have the self-discipline to make the right kind of choices. To choose the good. To choose the good. And when one has chosen the good, then one is free. Right. Right. In other words, you're free when you have been liberated from, in a sense, the, the base part of our nature, whether mm-hmm. in the Greek tradition that's vice, whether in the Christian tradition that's sin, right? Christ mm-hmm. came to set men free free from sin so it's not just the condition of being free because i can do what i want right it's the condition of freedom that is the consequence of making the right choices it's so a positive y- element it's, it's a positive it's sorry. moving in the right direction not simply not moving in a direction i don't want to go That's it's right. not oh i'm free of things being forced on me right 
So in a sense, of course, and this is maybe one of the confusing things, one is one has to be in a condition of freedom to be able to make a choice, but it's not a freedom that's indifferent, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a freedom that in which all choices are regarded as a matter of indifference or neutrality. It's actually there's like raising a child. We don't raise a child to say, okay, I'm going to give you a completely free condition in which you will make all of your choices and you'll have to learn all the consequences yourself right. and you're right. free, son, daughter, yeah. <laughs> to do whatever you want. Right. Of course, that would be a terrible form of yeah. parenting and it's a terrible way to organize I tell Adam society. that all the time. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> okay. I'm looking at Adam yeah. here. You had to do things smoking, differently, bro. All the tattoos. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you listeners. Oh, have if you no think idea. if you think yeah. his tattoos are bad, you should see his five-year-old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, he's free. Right? Yeah, and so, but but now, so even now, in but a yeah, if I may, but uh, yes, if now if we think of what liberal education is in this yes, tradition, yeah. right? What liberal education is? It's literally that form of education that that brings us and cultivates us to a condition of genuine freedom, and that's that's how the classical understanding of education is about bringing us into the condition. And, and the realization of this, this this capacity for human beings to be good, mm. to, to make not just choices that are indifferent, but the right choices. Uh, now, the, the modern definition of freedom that you see, and using the same word, liberty, that you see articulated, for example, first in the kind of proto-liberal Thomas Hobbes and then John Locke, is that freedom is the condition that's described as being in existence in the state of nature. Human beings, when we think of them outside of political or social order, and this is described as the condition to do as one wants. That's what freedom is. So notice the same word, liberty, the same word mm. comes to mean exactly the opposite mm. from what it meant in its classical and Christian understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think this is maybe one of the sources of confusion, I think especially to Catholics, who rightly have a very positive regard for the word liberty, rightly have a very, you know, just I think just instinctively um, sympathize and, and have a, you know, very, uh, again, a very positive stance toward the ideal of liberty. But it's, and maybe in some ways it's kind of confused because we have th these kind of modern liberal understandings of freedom intermingling now and in some ways corroding the classical understanding of liberty. So America would be a um, liberal society because we're founded on the idea of, uh, you know, that I, I'm going to pursue my own ends, what I view as my own good, you and, and you get the right to pursue yours, whether they're the same or not, whether we're right or wrong or not, doesn't matter. It's simply this individualistic pursuit. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, America is a complicated, you know, we all know this, America is a complicated place. Sure. And, it, you know, I think of often of America as a kind of the place where a lot of tributaries, the big river, where a lot of tributaries fed it. Uh, mm -hmm. And what people have tended to do is to focus on the tributary that they like. Uh, and so there are a lot of people who focus on the Lockean tributary. And actually that's become a very big part of what we think of as the Republican Party, is to focus on this is what America, America is the land of freedom and liberty precisely in this meaning. And they're not wrong because, of course, the Declaration of Independence, among other things, invokes more or less quotes John Locke. What is the, what is the nature of the human being? We are creatures that are endowed with certain inalienable rights mm -hmm. by, our, by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness 
not quite exactly Locke's phrase. He says life, liberty, and property, property are yeah. our rights. But he does use the phrase pursuit of happiness in another of his writings. So it is a Lockean phrase. Mm -hmm. And if anything, where he uses the phrase pursuit of happiness, which is in the essay concerning human understanding, that actually does mean uh, the kind of a condition of constant discontent. When, hmm. when Locke uses that phrase, that it's the natural condition of human beings to be in a con to be in kind of the their character is to be constantly discontented, mm. right? So we are we're kind of Augustinian creatures in the sense that we are always restless, yeah. but there is never a point where our restlessness can be in a sense ultimately assuaged. Whereas Augustine would say, of course, our hearts rest in Thee. Right. Right. So it seems also that. You know, as you start digging into this as a Catholic, you start realizing, oh, there's people who kind of saw this coming, yeah. all right? And so you start reading uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, well, we have, uh, we have this president that he he saw he foresaw this happening yeah. and actually condemned it. He did. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So um, you know, as probably at least some of your listeners know, maybe not as many who should. Uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, the great, uh, the great, um, uh, the Pope who revives the Thomistic tradition in the uh, in the early, uh, in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century, uh, condemns what he calls Americanism, and Americanism is in many ways. He, very he uses the word Americanism. I mean, uses the word Americanism, wow. and he regards it as a heresy. Really? Yeah. That, and the heresy is, wow. in a sense, this modern definition of liberty. Uh huh. The modern definition of liberty, which is the idea that human beings have no end, no telos. Uh -huh. Everything is simply um, a, the realm of indifferent choice, that the object and goal of political order and society is to maximize our opportunity to ex exercise individual choice, an indifference uh, to truth, um, and therefore a kind of indifference to questions of religion, indifference of uh, speech, and what we say. Um, so, uh, in a sense, all of the things that we, in many ways, regard as the kind of the inheritance of what it is to be a good American, and here liberal American in that philosophic sense, is condemned by Pope Leo the uh, Thirteenth. And uh, this is something that you know the, the bishops at the time in the United States, they really are. They're trying to, in some ways, underst understand how this can be translated in a, in such a way that doesn't turn Catholics into even more targets of um, suspicion and hatred by the dominant Protestant culture, mm. right? You have a pope mm. who's condemning Americanism. Right. And so in many ways, the bishops tended to so kind of soft pedal this um, condemnation, mm. even to Americans. And well, Protestant culture is falling apart, so we yeah. won't have to worry about that for yeah, much longer. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and I, in this sense, it was very prophetic uh, of Pope Leo Thirteenth, And I think many Catholics who are precisely concerned about this falling apart of the dominant mainstream Protestant culture, and frankly, the way that's infected, right? right. right. Uh, the Catholic um, culture, um, that this, uh, this episode and this, um, this condemnation is something that's being revisited and, uh, uh, and I think newly studied. Mm -hmm. So I think the, um, so someone who wanted to defend liberalism might say, well, you know, the idea is that let's present all the, let's let all the ideas have a fair shot and the, the best one will win, you know, and that the truth, this is, we're pursuing the truth here and letting it like, 
almost an organic way of coming to it, right? Instead of forcing my truth on somebody else, whether it's true or not, you know, I'm not going to coerce them. Um, how come it, and, and, you know, I think at first when, when you hear that, it's like, yeah, okay. Um, cause the truth will win, right? It should outcompete. Um, like people should be able to see, okay, you know, I tried this, that didn't fulfill me. It didn't work. Right. And so over time you'd think that would, but it's, it doesn't. I mean, I think at this point we can say it's not working. How come? Why isn't, why, why right. isn't the truth naturally out competing, so to speak? Well, I mean, maybe one good reason for that is, uh, is uh, Satan is always looking to win. Yes. Uh, and um, uh, Satan will always look for an opportunity. And maybe one of the opportunities has been, I think, this deep misunderstanding of um, you know, what, what the nature of inquiry uh, frankly, in lots of ways, the academic um, academic inquiry has been infected by this. I think the Catholic universities, unfortunately, went down the path of embracing this kind of indifferentism mm. in the way that they think about, for example, academic freedom or how they constitute the, the disciplines and how they populate the disciplines with faculty. Uh, and a kind of, a, a, a sort of implicit belief, yes, the truth will come out. And at the same time, a loss of sight of the ways in which, for example, a Catholic university or Catholic schools and institutions, the truth, we, we already know the truth, right? I mean, that's, 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 that's why it's a Catholic institution. We already know the truth. The truth has been revealed to us. And part of what being a Catholic institution is, is to A, to know the truth and to know that we always have to learn more and more deeply and to revisit and to think through the nature of that truth and it's always going to be to, to appear in new guises um, and we're always going to have new challenges so it's simultaneously having this kind of openness of inquiry without losing sight that we already have the truth mm -hmm. and i think mm -hmm. this is one of the ways that catholic institutions and i spoke last night about notre dame we've adopted much more of this kind of liberal view of of open free speech and inquiry that begins with the presupposition presupposition that we don't know anything right right and kind of kind <laughs> of almost implicitly suggests that there really is no truth right it's like all why am i paying you all this tuition if you right. guys don't know it? all there is is debate <laughs> all there is is further inquiry and this does two things first of all it makes the humanities disciplines it just makes them into basically um almost pointless exercises. Mm, yeah. you know, uh, why do we study these things? We study these things because it will develop critical thinking. Uh, that, that maybe that's a valuable idea. But it, but it really, if you're an 18 to 22-year-old, maybe critical thinking isn't what you need. Maybe yeah. you actually need... Hopefully you worked on that already. Yeah, you know? <laughs> hopefully you actually need to know <laughs> the truth because you have to live your life. Right. Yeah. And so what happens is that students tend to gravitate toward the disciplines that can give them either something that seems concrete, which is the kind of STEM disciplines, yeah. science, technology, engineering, mathematics, or that which is going to make them a lot of money, business, economics. Mm. Uh, and that's what we're seeing happening, you know, not just at places like, you know, the, the secular schools, but certainly at a place like Notre Dame as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that if somebody's picked up your book, Why Liberalism Has Failed, uh, Why li Liberalism Failed, um, and they're starting to read this. They, they kind of come to this realization that, yeah, I, I agree. This is not this is not where we want to be going. Uh, but what is the? Is there a positive project? Is there something that we can be actively doing to kind of move the needle, so to speak, away from this this thought process? Yeah. 
It's so ingrained really deep, right? It is. It is. Um, I mean, it, it's ingrained deeply, and yet um, I, I think in lots of ways uh, what we what you said earlier about uh, Protestant culture kind of, kind of unraveling before right. our eyes. There's, uh, you know, I think there's um, we're we're in a moment when it's it's clear to almost any seeing adult in the room that that we need something else, that, that uh, this kind of whatever this project we've been on the course of developing has really just gone into a cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. Uh, we need to work our way back out and find a new path forward. And here I do think that, um, especially I think a younger generation of Catholics who have been in intentionally developed their understanding of the faith and the positive faith and the, the deep and profound tradition of that faith, its philosophical and theological and sociological traditions, its, its history, are actually discovering that we have a lot of the, these answers. Mm. Right? We, have, we ha basically have the framework of a, of a lot of answers that, again, no framework, there's nothing we can, in a sense, go back to, but we take that framework and we, we, we go forward with it. And we we, have, we see the ways that prudentially it can be applied to our situation today. Uh, so one of the talks uh, which took place this morning was by my friend Gladden Papin, who is uh, now taking a position in Hungary, and he gave a, just a brilliant talk that was intended to to show, to demonstrate, and I think to inspire that even though things may seem like they're completely bleak and lost and all there is is uh, just a, you know, abandoned hope, all ye who enter here, <laughs> uh, that there's always the possibility of renewal. Mm -hmm. And it's just human beings basically saying, we're going to do things differently. And rather than, you know, shrug our shoulders or, you know, kind of throw up our hands, it seems to me Catholics especially are equipped to say there's another way forward. And what are those way f ways forward? Well, you know, it's a society and a political, social, economic, familial, private order that's oriented toward a conception of human flourishing and the human good. And then we just begin to think creatively about ways that we, we pursue those ends um, in, in, a, in every sphere of life. So, uh, you know, I think when... Last question for you? Yes. Okay. Um, when I'm thinking about, you know, the problems of society, I, along with many people, I think, wish there was, oh, a silver, like, what was the thing that went wrong? Is You know, we could just point to one thing. And I, you, I don't think there is one thing. I think it's a, a host of things. Um, but I see many things that are correlated, and I do kind of wonder if one came before the other. You know, when I think about um, the, the dependence of a community, right, where communities today... They're just people who happen to live by each other, right? They're actually not dependent on each other in the way people used to be. And I see the same in, f in the family, right? Um, there used to be a codependence between a husband and a wife. Without a wife, a man would starve. Mm -hmm. um, without, uh, without the husband, the woman, right? Like he was working and she was at home. And um, they were really literally building a house together. And at some point in the 50s or whenever, the wife didn't, no longer was a homemaker, she became like the purchaser of mm. things mm. in the house. Mm. Her job was kind of taken from her. Is And so now it's like you have people, married couples are often roommates, yeah. you know, lifelong roommates. Instead of like building this life together in the way that they always have been. And I hope that makes sense what I'm trying to – is it – was it the that those things that took place in the family, did they – those things cause – other things in the community or was it that something had happened in the community that changed these things in the family 
do you have any insight into uh, what, what, you know, is it kind of a chicken and an egg thing, yeah. I think. Yeah, you said this is the last question, so we'll take the next five hours yeah. to discuss this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and do you blame yeah. central heating and air? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I actually have a. I, I do. I do. Uh, yeah, I say I that do have a, I do have a sarcastically because uh, I do too. <laughs> air. Uh, air. I mean, I'm in South Bend, so I'm not getting heating, rid of mine. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good with heat, but yeah. the, but the air conditioning is a real issue. You know, I in a in a in a very interesting way, um, there was a there was a real moment. Um, when it seemed to me that American culture was moving in a decisively Catholic direction. Hmm. And we can say that, you know, waves of immigration, my peoples, the Irish, the Italians, the Poles, they came in waves and they were really kind of generating this much thicker sense of a society based in solidarity. And if you think of, um, you know, we sometimes it's funny how both the left and the right look back to some degree nostalgically at the 1950s, mm-hmm. right, the period right after World War II. Um, and the right looks back nostalgically because it seemed to be a time of family values, traditional values. Um, you know, it was a time when, you know, Hollywood could make movies, or shortly after this time, Hollywood could make movies about, Sarah, uh, I'm sorry, Bernadette, uh, St. Bernadette. Right, yeah. Winning Academy Awards, or mm-hmm. Boys Town, you know, yeah. about priests. A Man for All Seasons. Man, I mean, you could have these movies being made in which, you know, religion... Catholicism was portrayed in this incredibly positive and, and sort of admiring light. Uh, you had figures like Fulton Sheen becoming, you know, massively popular. You know, along with Billy Graham mm-hmm. and Reinhold Niebuhr, you had these kind of m- major figures, religious figures, who really seemed to, sh- you know, kind of reflect a culture that was much more deeply religious. And the left looks back nostalgically to this time as the time when there was a lot of economic solidarity. Right? There was a, you know, unions were strong. The working man typically uh, was doing very well in you know with a high school education you could you could have a really good life you could buy your house you could yeah. get a lake house up in lake michigan uh you know if you were up in detroit or south bend indiana you, you didn't have to have a college degree from harvard to succeed you could just be a good average and and this seemed to be a, like a charmed moment when if you were going to say what would america have looked like if it kind of became catholic say that's what it would have looked like america would have been a country that was much more solidaristic in both the economic and in the social, private, familial realm. And these two things kind of, for a moment, went together. And then what happened? Well, what happened is we all got extremely rich. Uh, We also, um, we were fighting a Cold War against communism, and now solidarity and things that looked social started to look suspicious. And we started to, you know, we especially started Mm. to say, well, we can't, we can't be, we can't look like those communists. Right. So anything that looks too solidaristic starts to get suspicious. We have to be much more individualistic. Which ultimately is what socialism was. Man, doesn't socialism say man is happiest like alone? Was it? Or maybe that was a that was the communist, more of a co- Russian communist yeah. idea. But well, I mean, communism and socialism, of course, are complex. But part of what what it's based on is once we, once we free human beings from every solidaristic organization, mm-hmm. including the family, the right. church, the town, the community, uh, Th- the then can be happy. Then we can actually be communist. We can be whole. But it's only okay. by freeing us from all of those particular forms of human groupings. And of course, the Catholic understanding is that we're we're social and political animals, mm-hmm. and that 
we're never going to be sort of just completely absorbed into this abstract whole, our solidarity is always going to be expressed and achieved through you know, particular institutions, including, of course, the family, the parish. We're not just members of the church. We're members of parishes and dioceses. So a kind of much more sort of mediated and kind of association-rich uh, form of being. Mm. That, that was a moment when it seems to me that, in part because of the influence of Catholic immigrants that had really seeded the country, America had a real chance of being a very different country than the one that it's become. And I'd like to think that that's actually the realization of that is actually ahead of us. It's not behind us. That was kind of a little bit of a start. Uh, and if we want to think about what we should be aiming toward, it's a society in which we are, we have a kind of solidarity. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that's also going to require subsidiarity, which means the, the, the strengthening of those institutions and associations, both at the local level, but also, let's not forget, at the national level as well, where, where, where national power and authority are needed. So I think, I think you know, I'd like, to be, I'd like to be hopeful and say that the, the, the best days might yet be yet before us. Well, yeah, that's a, that, that's a great answer. Now, you have a new book coming out. I do. Uh, what, what, it's next month, is that it's correct? It's uh, June 6th. Oh, so it's yeah, very soon. Very soon. Uh, and it's called Regime Change. So uh, not not a completely non-controversial title, <laughs> <laughs> unlike my last one. Yeah, yeah unlike your last one. Yeah. Dr. Tanine, I'm I'm grateful for your work. Uh, you're you're a wonderful Twitter follow follower as well, so they can they can follow you there. Um, you're welcome. Uh, is there any other places they can they can check out what your your work and what you? Yeah, well, so uh, actually, th uh, the three keynote speakers at uh, this event, uh, myself, Gladden Pappen, and uh, Chad Packnold, along with Adrian Vermeule at Harvard University, we have a Substack called Post Liberal Order, where we write up a lot of these kinds of ideas. And what's nice is we have a kind of division of labor. We have a political theorist, we have a law professor, we have a theologian. Gladden is now running the half the Hungarian government. <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got a light, nice uh, nice uh, group of people. So if America that. falls apart, are we all going to Hungary? Is that, uh, I, is that I, like I'm the plan I, at this I'm point? Not, I'm not planning to move to Hungary. No. Yeah. Okay, good. I, I I'm, not, uh, I'm not, A, nobody can speak Hungarian unless you're born into the language. No, but B, I, I really think that um, we have. I think we should have hope. Yes. We're Good. people of hope. And I think we should have hope that we can uh, we can bring this nation away from the brink. That's a great way to end it, uh, Doctor. I'm I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much. Good to talk with you guys. You too.